Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you want a da-da-da? What do you want a da-da-da? I'm not a da with a da-da-da. We could switch to Progressa da Oh, yeah? We could switch to Progressa and sa. Mm-hmm. We could saw enough to buy some za. Oh, yeah. Let's switch to Progressa da and get some za with the money we saw. Yeah. Now we know we're going to da-da-da. These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. It might just be the most normal thing you da-da-da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris at 708-478-6090. Marishka's in Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933. And Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com. Let's drop the puck. Welcome to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast with NBCChicago.com's James Navo and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Here I is Chicago! Woo! Welcome in to this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Navo from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, as always, is your favorite in mind, the best Blackhawks reporter in town, not named Scott Powers, the one, <laughs> the only Jake Zawatsky of 670 The Score. Jay, there's really not a whole heck of a lot to talk about because the Blackhawks basically made some moves on July 1, and that's been it. That's been it, and there's been literally, like, no whispers, no rumors. You're not seeing them in any trade rumors. Uh, Eric Carlson's name is being bandied about as someone who's supposed to be traded soon, but maybe not. And the Hawks are nowhere around that. Um, I don't know about you. July 1st and the day of the trade deadline, those are the two days I sort of settle in and buckle down for what could be a busy day. And free agency starts at 11 a.m. I'm sitting at my computer. And at 11 the Hawks send an email that they signed Chris Kunitz, Brandon Manning, and Cam Ward. And that was about it. That was the extent of free agency day for the Blackhawks. 
It's been the extent of their offseason thus far, aside from the signing of Adam Boquist, who will be joining the London Knights to continue his development. But aside from those moves, there's really been nothing. And this is our first time talking together since the free agent moves uh, have occurred. Um, I had a short podcast that night, but obviously I've had some time since then to digest and sort of reflect upon what these things could mean. But James, I don't know if our listeners have gotten your take yet, so I'm going to give the floor to you first before we really dive in and break down what these moves could mean together. Well, I think that like the first thing I thought of was I was like, okay, when's the other shoe going to drop? Like, when are they going to, you know, probably trade Marion Hosa and clear some cap room and do something like anything, go after a guy like Calvin DeHaan or anybody like that. Like, a guy who definitely would have more upside and more potential than a Brandon Manning on the blue line or another forward with some offensive upside who could potentially play second or third line minutes and not 39-year-old Chris Kunitz or whatever. Like I fully anticipated that the Blackhawks would be a little bit more active than they had been in previous free agency windows because they did have a little bit more uh, cap space to kind of work with and we were fully expecting them to really kind of go all out and try to make this team more of a contender for next season and as you've written about on 670 the score and as I'm sure you talked about on the podcast that I regret to admit that I did not listen to <gasps> when you record I'm sorry man I didn't listen to that one like I did read your stuff, though, on 670 to score, and I, I will say it was very well done. Good job, sir. Thanks. So, yeah, it just to me, you were waiting for the other shoe to drop. You were waiting for them to make another move, to make some kind of indication that they really are serious about continuing to try to move forward to make this team a contender now. And, frankly, we haven't seen that. We've seen a lot of kind of treading water, honestly, like basically banking on – guys like Brandon Saad and Jonathan Taves to kind of have bounce back seasons to bank on uh, less regression than we're anticipating from Brent Seabrook and even Duncan Keith, maybe uh, Corey Crawford coming back and putting up like a 940 save percentage or whatever. <laughs> like sure. they, apparently there's just a lot of rolling the dice on all of those things happening because the Blackhawks really didn't address any, significant needs like cam ward i guess you can argue was a significant need which by the way before we i'm gonna put the brakes on the conversation right here because i've got to ask you this why the hell did they give him a no movement clause i don't know not even just a no trade where it's like we're not going to trade you at the deadline for pieces if we suck no it was no movement i.e we can't even send you down to the minors if you're terrible chris kudis got one too that blows my mind that you would just literally tie your hand behind your back and rob yourself of every single potential avenue to get out from underneath that contract if he stinks. And I get that it's only a one-year deal and that it's only $3 million, but it feels so damn unnecessary with a guy like that. They just hand these no-movement and no-trade clauses out, and then they get super upset that they have no flexibility to do anything. And you're giving them out on one-year contracts to aging veterans. You know what? If you were going to do that, you may as well have signed like Robin Lehner or somebody like that or Yaroslav Halak. I'd rather have those guys with the completely superfluous uh, no-movement clause than freaking Cam Ward. Like, it just 
boggles my mind, and I couldn't believe that Stan Bowman did that. And I got the move. I got signing him. Like, I get what he's supposed to be. A 25 to 30 start guy, fine. I can accept that. He's a veteran. You need him backing up Corey Crawford. But to just give him that no-movement clause, I thought was just a really... I, I can't even say questionable because I really just feel like it's a dumb move there's, by Stan Bowman. There's absolutely no need to do that. And this is his thing is, and we've talked about this for years on this podcast. You don't do the no movement clause and the high salary. You don't do both. It's one or the other. Say, look, we're going to pay you maybe a million less than you're worth. But for being a good sport, here's a no movement clause. Or, all right, we're going to give you some extra money here. But. With that, you're going to have to give us the flexibility to move you if we have to. You don't do both. There's no point in doing both. And you're strapped now. Like Artem Anisimov, why did he need a no-movement clause? Why? Was he so in demand? That... It's so hard to get third-line centers for $4.5 million a season, Jay. Seriously. I don't think you understand how the NHL works. It's these unnecessary, and we again, we've talked about this a lot. The extra 500K, the extra million, the no movement clauses. It's all these things that Bowman has done. And I've been a staunch Bowman defender in the past. His last two years are trash. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I still stand by the Brandon Sod trade because at the time it made sense. And the rumor was the Hawks players wanted him back. And that's sort of what they lacked was a power forward. But aside from that, it's been a nightmare. And you're seeing... Even, like, with with the draft this year, and I had no problem with the Boquist pick. Fine. But why is it always – why is Stan Bowman always seeming like the smartest guy in the room? He never makes the obvious play. He never makes the obvious move. There's – you're watching the draft. There's – you know, people are projecting, okay, who could the Hawks take here? Oh, there's this guy. There's that guy. It's never anyone that the consensus agrees is the right person to pick. And maybe Adam Boquist will be better than Quinn Hughes or whatever. Great. I don't – Whatever. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's like time after time after time, these moves happen and you're like, what? And Cam Ward, did he just decide that that's the guy? You look at the deals that Carter Hutton signed. I thought Carter Hutton was going to get starter money. What do you get, 2.75? Yes, he did get some turn, but like that's still, yeah, like John Moore signed a 2.75 mil a season deal for five years it's like well that's fine but like i think he's a better uh, better chance at having a solid two to three year window than brandon manning of like that's that to me just like that seemed like a roll the dice on a guy that you think a change of scenery might work and i just look at his stats and his body of work and it's just like what are you seeing stan it, it's I like don't get it it's like bowman made up his mind before free agency started like well i'm not gonna be able to afford these guys so i'm not even gonna ask I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to go with Cam Ward because I feel like it's going to work. I'm just going to go with Chris Kunitz because he's a veteran guy. That I... These are the moves, and I've said this before, but these are the moves that a team makes at the deadline to solidify the roster. They're not moves you make on July 1st in a critical offseason for the organization. This is putting a Band-Aid on a, the leaking Hoover Dam. This is doing yeah. nothing. This does not help your team at all. Maybe Brandon Manning proves to be a five or a six. That's not what you needed. You've got plenty of fives and six, fifth and sixth defensemen. You got a lot of those on the team and in the organization, but you needed a top four. Everyone knew it, and now they're all gone. Obviously, they can make a trade. Yes, of course, that's an option, but there's nothing to indicate anything's on the horizon trade-wise, 
and his unwillingness to go beyond two years, that I don't understand. I don't know if he's afraid that, uh, you know, Schmaltz and DeBrinkett and Sakura are going to need big contracts, and that might be the case. But guess what? That's why you don't give Brent Seabrook a no-movement clause. Those are the sort of things you do to protect yourself down the line. You don't not sign someone two years earlier because Schmaltz, Sakura, and Dabrinkit might might max out with their salary. You can't you can't do it that way. Again, especially when he's the guy that said the result is unacceptable. Not making the playoffs is unacceptable, and you just said it. Now you now you're banking on Jonathan Taves returning to Stanley Cup champion Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane returning to All Star level or MVP level. And Brandon Saad being a 30-goal scorer. And Schmaltz and DeBrinkett taking another 10, 15-point step. And Duncan Keith stalling out where he is instead of getting worse. Brent Seabrook somehow remaining as good as he was last year, which wasn't great. Connor Murphy taking a step. Eric Gustafson being an 82-game. Like, there's so many ifs. You've got to do something to address this roster now. Or, yeah. or just say, this is a rebuild on the fly. Just say it. Say we're not, you know, we know we're probably not going to be able to compete this year, but we're going to do our best to improve the team in the short term with an eye to the future. Just say it, because they are not trying to win this year. There's no way in hell. Yeah, you absolutely cannot make the argument that they're actually trying to win games in 2018-19 by signing guys like Chris Kunitz and Cam Ward. You are, like you said, you're basically trying to get this thing limping along toward what end i don't even know like and with all of the no movement clauses and all the limitations that you've inflicted upon yourself it's not like somebody forced you to do it i don't know man like are they banking on the fact they'll be able to like use a compliance buyout on brent seabrook like is that like the ultimate like play here to free up cap room is to tra- trade marion host's contract and then to get rid of that contract when you can do the compliance buyout and then at that point, hopefully guys like Boquist and Yokoharu and Sakura and those guys are up here making a big impact. Like, is that the long-term play here? Because if it is, then why'd you have to go out and waste the money on these veteran dopes? Like, I, I don't even get it. Like, Cam Ward can play, kind of, but not for $3 million and no movement. Like, I don't – there's no real rhyme or reason to what Stan Bowman has been saying about the fact that he thinks that this team – still has a chance to compete that the Stanley cup window isn't closed. If these moves tell me anything, it's that the window is closed and they're basically just limping along until they can, you know, figure out a way to blow this entire thing up. Well, if that's the case, what are you waiting for? Right. If you truly feel that this thing is done and you feel like the window to compete is gone, then you trade Brandon sod. Then you trade, you consider trading Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves or Duncan Keith. What is the point of delaying this two more years? All that's doing is aging these guys more and making it less likely that they're going to be effective players. Look, Patrick Kane has been probably remains the best of the core. I don't think there's much question about it, but how much great hockey does he even have left with all the mileage they play with all the hockey this team has played? They're just, I don't know. I don't get the plan at all. I really don't understand it. And he's Bowman's not done a good job of explaining what it is he talks out of both sides of his mouth saying like well this is unacceptable but at the same time we've got to protect ourselves from Schmaltz and to bring it great that's true but guess what like you just said maybe the compliance bout with Brent Seabrook 
don't sign that deal in the first place. Don't, what are you doing? You knew that he was declining. Everyone who watched the Blackhawks saw it. Everyone saw it happening. It wasn't, hey, Brent Seabrook sucks. It was, look, this guy's old. He's at the end of his career. He's got a lot of mileage on him. The natural decline has begun. And instead of protecting himself and saying, well, you know what? It's been a nice run, Brent, but maybe it's time we move on without you. No, he gives him, uh, what, uh, eight-year deal for $6 million plus? Like, yep. what? Like, what, do you, <laughs> what is the idea here? And then you talk about being concerned about the finances of the future. Like, well, we got to be able to sign the Brink Hitton Schmaltz. Cool. Maybe give Seabrook a four-year deal instead of eight. Right? That It's like, yeah. where is the – is there any thought beyond now? And it, it's – I just I truly don't understand the direction of this team. And I, I wish that someone would say it. I wish Stan Bowman would come out and say it. I've talked to people in the organization who don't understand it. And they say, I, you know, we thought that there was going to be a lot more done. And it hasn't been done. I just don't get it. And for a guy who uh, is on the hot seat along with Joel Quenville uh, for this season's make or break, Rocky Wirtz pretty much came out and said it a couple months ago. They have to win this year, not the cup. But they've got to be competitive. They've got to be a team in the conversation to win the Stanley Cup. And if you look at this roster today, oh, my God. that That is not a playoff roster unless all those factors I mentioned, all those ifs come true. This is not a playoff team. Well, A, I said the ifs first, you jerk. You did. And B, I feel like now is a good time to kind of collect our thoughts a little bit, take a breath. Have you tell our friends about Triple Threat Sports. And then when we come back, actually talk about something that's kind of positive. And that's the Prospect Camp roster that came out that honestly, looking at it, makes you feel a little bit better as a Blackhawks fan. So I'd love to talk about that. I'd love to also talk about offer sheets and what the hell is going on with that whole thing in the NHL. But before we do that, Jay, please indulge me. And talk about our pals at Triple Threat. Yes, we've talked about Triple Threat Sports for years. They are our original sponsor. And uh, if you need an NHL jersey, you need an MLB jersey, you want it to look official, you want it to look authentic, Triple Threat Sports is the only place I'd recommend. You will, your jersey will look just like it looks on the ice or on the diamond or on the court or whatever sport you're looking for. But also, if you're on a team, you got a softball team, you got a bowling league, you've got a flag football team, whatever, Triple Threat Sports will hook you up with the best-looking uniforms you can get. You will look as uh, sharp, sharply dressed as, as possible for that level of play. So go to TripleThreadSports.com or hit them up, 708-478-6090. Talk to Chris, Chris at TripleThreadSports.com. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. James is going to try to make me feel better on the other side of this break. You're listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, where we are just full of sunshine, rainbows, and kittens about this upcoming Blackhawks season. Hoo-wee! <laughs> all right, so now that we've gotten that all out of our system, all that pent-up rage from several weeks of not doing the podcast and wondering what on earth Stan Bowman is doing with his life and this team, we need to discuss something that's actually good all right, let's and do happy. It. Are you ready to discuss the Blackhawks prospect camp roster, which, by the way, <laughs> I, I kind of love this. It says, uh, wait, are you serious? 
I just realized something. I opened the roster up, and it's last season's roster. I have no idea how this just happened. That's I odd. Think, I think the Blackhawks tweeted out the wrong link. Oh, that's that's. I have wonderful. the current one. I have the email open. Thank you. Yeah. I, I feel like a complete fool, but I was just like looking at the defenseman list. I'm like, this isn't right. <laughs> yes. Why is Alex Dabrinkit on there? I don't understand anything. Still a prospect. <laughs> Dude, no. If he was at prospect camp, I'd be banging on Stan Bowman's palatial estate. I'd be banging on the door going, what are you doing? Stop this. Should we do that anyway? But it, uh, That's a good point. I could. But anywho. There is a reason that there is optimism in the voice of James Naveau. I am now speaking in the third person because I'm just that great. I, When I saw the list, I looked at the defensemen, and I don't know about you, Jay. I felt pretty optimistic about what this team's got in the pipeline. They've really made some big strides into really reinforcing and reinvigorating a pipeline of defensive talent that's really been kind of bereft of anything noteworthy lately like there's guys in there that could potentially be top pairing defensemen in the nhl at some point depending on how their development comes along you got your henry yokoharus you've got your adam boquists and your uh bodans and these all these guys that really could be really solid blue liners in the in the future like the next like two to three years and of all of the belly aching and anger that I have felt about the Blackhawks moves in free agency, at least I can see Stan Bowman's vision on the blue line. And I'm curious to see if you agree with me when you look at that list. I see it. I just don't know how far away it is. You know, I, I think that and I'm not, I like the guys they have. I like Boquist. I like Bodan. I like Yokoharu. We saw, uh, you know, Hillman last year a little bit. There are some guys that, are pretty much like surefire NHL players. But think back a couple years when they were talking about Gustav Forsling. And that's a guy who I still believe will be a solid NHL player. But defensemen are not forwards. They don't come up at 19 or 20 or 21 and make a big impact unless they are generational Rasmus Dahlin type talents. They're not going to come in and make a big difference right away. It takes young defensemen a couple years to develop and longtime Hawks fans will remember the early years of Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook not good <laughs> those guys struggled <laughs> mightily those guys really really struggled especially Brent Seabrook Brent Seabrook could barely skate Duncan Keith was fast but tiny like this developing NHL defenseman takes time and I like the Boquist is going to London to play with the Knights. I think that's a great idea. I like that Yokoharu was in Portland last year playing in the North American Ice Service. I think they're doing the right things in the way they're developing these guys. But to expect, you know, three defensemen to become part of things in, in two or three years and be actual solid contributors and, you know, top four type defensemen, that to me is a big stretch. I don't think that you can expect any of those guys even Boquist, who's high, probably the highest prospect all, of all of them, to expect him to come in and be a top four at age 19, 20, or 21, that's a huge ask. And, uh, yes, I'm hopeful, and I think these a lot of these guys are going to pan out and be solid defensemen, but if, if Stan Bowman thinks it's going to happen in two or three years and he's going to plug these guys in and all of a sudden the defensive core is fixed, I think you're sorely mistaken. I, I really – there needs to be a prime – level 
top four defensemen added to this roster. I don't like Justin Falk is a guy who makes a ton of sense for this team. Now, Carolina reportedly wants Brandon Saad for him. I don't make that trade because all you're doing is flipping your strength from offense to defense. But if you got to find a way to get Justin Falk away from the Carolina Hurricanes to make your your blue line better, I think you do it. Maybe you give him a couple first-round picks or something. But you, there's this team, even in two or three years with these guys coming up, is not going to be good enough on the blue line. They're just not. You cannot expect three children – who can't even drink legally to come up and save your franchise. It's just unrealistic. I think it's a completely fair expectation on the part of fans to anticipate that Adam Boquist can be that good in two or three years. He was the eighth overall pick in the damn draft like that. I get that like hockey players take longer to develop, but if you're taking a development project at number eight, that's going to take five to six years to truly be an effective NHL player. Stan Bowman needs to be fired. Oh, I'll think, no, no, no. Story. Let That's... me let me clarify. I'm not saying I'm not saying he won't be effective, but I'm, I'm not just... saying he he's not going to be a 20 minute you know top two defenseman in his first or second year on this team. That that's not realistic. I know he's not a a long term development project. He should be in the league in two at most three years. But what I'm saying is, don't expect an all star. Don't expect a guy who's going to carry the load for your team at that young of an age. He'll, he may de- will likely develop to that at some point in his career, but to expect it out of the box, no way. There's no way. Learning, growing pains happen. Look at Connor Murphy. I know he's not as high of, of a prospect as those guys, but that's a what 24-year-old defenseman who is still learning. He's still learning how to be an NHL defenseman. The Defense especially takes time to develop. Seabrook, Heath. Those guys are elite defenders. Keith is a surefire Hall of Famer. Brent Seabrook is probably not, but he's in the Hall of the Very Good. And uh, those guys took three, four years before they really found themselves in the NHL. I don't know how I feel about that, man. I really don't. Like, I I look at that, and it's like, if you're really telling me that Adam Boquist isn't going to hit his full potential for five to six years, then I'm thinking to myself, why didn't you just draft a damn forward then? Why didn't you draft a guy that could make a bigger impact in a shorter amount of time? If that's really the time frame that we're talking about here, ugh, I I well, get back to litigating that pick again because I just don't get it. Well, and think like back if, to if our – if, Sorry, go ahead. If you're in a win-now mode, then it makes no sense to me to literally have a guy who's going to take that long to develop. Like, I just – I don't get it, man. Like – and, and I, I like the Boquist pick. Like, I think that I get it. I get what he brings to the table. I like the fact he's going to be playing in London this year. I like all of those things, but way to harsh my buzz, man. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to do. It's just, you know, like, think back to our post-draft podcast when we said, like, okay, you know, Bowman did not improve the team for now, right? Like, we all thought that that 27th pick would be something he would look to trade. He didn't. Okay, he drafted defenseman. But they can't help now, so he's probably going to sign someone, right? No. No. You get Brandon Manning. Like, no. And so all the things me, that we, again, we qualify. That to me indicates that he's anticipating them making an impact in two to three years, not five to six. Oh, I, I hope he's right. I hope that I'm wrong here. I, you know, And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on Adam Boquist or Nicholas Bodin or whatever. I've not watched a lot of junior hockey. It's not readily available to me or you or to anybody. Yes. But it's just, 
I don't know. I think it, I think it's a lot to ask to. I mean, think about Brent Seabrook in two years. No. I mean, I don't want. Come on. And, and you can't even, make me no. And even Duncan Keith. Uh, he's going to be in two years. Duncan Keith will be a three or a four. I think uh, he'll still be effective yeah. in many ways, but those things that made him great will be gone. That that burst of speed, that's already going, right? The 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 uh, undying endurance that will go too with age. It's just I'm trying to be optimistic. Look, anyone that's listened to this podcast or listened to me on the score or read anything I've ever written, I am an optimist. I am a guy who always looks on the bright side of things. I always try to say, like, okay, maybe they're thinking A, B, C, D, E. I cannot draw myself a map to the Hawks being good again in two or three years. I can't. I just can't. And even if Schmaltz and DeBrinkett become point-per-game players, right, fine. Maybe they take over. Like, you flip them and Taves and Kane, and you kind of match the point production. But I just, I don't know, man. This blue line is a problem. It's a real problem. How many I'm, years Duncan Keith have left on his contract? I think uh, off the top of my head, maybe three, four. But, like, do you... Patrick, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tabes have five more years left on their deal. They all Okay, they all expire at the same time. Keith, Seabrook, or Keith uh, Kane, and Taves, if I'm not mistaken. But, like, think about this, too. Your blue line, beyond those guys this year, who are you sold on as an 82-game regular defenseman? Jan Ruda, who we gave $2 no. million to? No, not really. Are you sold with Eric Gustafson as an 82-game defender? Not really. Connor Murphy is the one guy who I would say, okay, I think he is a legit you know, top four or five NHL defenseman, but guess who doesn't think that? Joel Quenville. Yeah. Right? Like Gustav Forsling has yet to find it. I just... I don't know, man. I don't see how this defense is going to work. And Joel Quenville, who is famously resistant to changing his system, plays a system that is heavily reliant on the D. And there's not a guy, aside from Keith and Seabrook, because of his experience, that I fully trust. I, I don't, Draw me a map to Stanley Cup contender. We, we we went from potentially talking about reasons for optimism to just going right back in the toilet, too. <laughs> Look, I, I'm sorry, though. I like those defensemen. I really do. Oh. I like Boquist. I like Bodan. I like Yokoharu. I like some of the other guys they have in the system as well. Chad, uh, what is it, Chris? Uh, what's the first name? I'm sorry. I'm yeah, blanking. Chad Chris. Chad Chris, yeah. That's a guy who a lot of people were high on when the Hawks drafted him. He was more of a project. But people thought if he was developed correctly, he could be something. Blake Hellman could That's potentially great. be something. Sure. And those are, it's great. All those things could potentially be something. But right now, there's no one I truly trust on the team aside from Keith and Seabrook. And Seabrook's a stretch. Seabrook's going on reputation. Like Eric Gustafson did not start the season in Chicago last year. Yeah. I, I just well, I mean, and then you watch guys that you traded away, like Michael Kempney sign a four-year deal with Washington. Trevor Daly had two solid seasons with the Penguins when they won back-to-back cups. You watch these guys that Joel Quindle just basically buried, and then they go elsewhere and they succeed. And you just go, maybe Stan knows what he's doing in terms of like targeting players, but then 
if Joel's just going to sabotage you every time, then what the hell's the point of this relationship then? I don't know. And Murphy seems to be the next in line of these guys that Quenville just has already made up his mind on. And part of that was because he was traded for his favorite guy, Nicholas Jalmerson, who is my favorite guy too. But the deal's been made. You got to get over it. You can't be butthurt about it for the remainder of Connor Murphy's tenure here, however long that may be. You've got to get over it. You've got to teach this kid how to play. And and that's it. Like you can't just you can't just pout because your guy is gone. That that's that's not fair to anybody. And it doesn't help anyone, especially yourself, Joe Quenville. You're only hurting yourself by not developing these guys. Right? And and that Kempney thing, everyone who knows knows that's on cue. That is a Joe Quenville thing. And look, maybe Michael Kempney is not as great as he showed in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but he's got a cup, he's got a new contract. And he's going to play every game for the Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals next year. If he's good enough to do that, how is he not good enough to play over Jan Ruda and Eric Gustafson and Hillman and Ian Mitchell and all these guys, on, you know, in the system? I just don't get it. And it, it's it's a blind spot for Q. He makes up his mind too quickly on these guys and, and does, does not allow them to change his mind. And that's what's, that's another frustrating aspect of this whole thing. Is Joe Quenville behind the Blackhawks bench on opening night in 2019? I don't know. It, it depends on how badly this season goes. And I think what's crazy is Stan Bowman now has put himself in a spot to be the guy that gets blamed because he's done nothing. He's done like, where are these aggressive moves that Sam Bowman became known for when this team was really good? when they added Andrew Ladd at the trade deadline, right? And I know they didn't end up winning the Stanley Cup that year, but it was the right move to make, and everyone knew it, and everyone knew the Hawks needed yep. the power forward, and he went out and did it. He showed the balls to go make the move. He had a golden opportunity at this draft to trade that number 27 pick and didn't do it. And let me tell you, by the way, speaking of that, uh, now that time has passed and um, that trade never happened, some of the names I was hearing that he was looking for uh, in that deal were not the kind of things that are going to change your franchise. I told you to keep your eye on a name, Christian Dvorak from the Arizona Coyotes. That, how many people listening to this podcast have heard of Christian Dvorak? Well, I've heard of him. Right. But, like, that's what Stan's looking at? Like, the, those are... The, with the 27th pick, that, that's the sort of thing you're trying to end. I get, I get it. Up and coming, you know, a center with a, who's shown some scoring potential. It makes some sense. But, like, these are not the moves of a person trying to win now. And if you're not trying to win now, then you should just start over and trade these veterans while you can. I. But they have to agree to trades because he literally <laughs> gave all of them no movement clauses. Correct. So what do you do? Right? So quit, if you're, if you're quit, just contract the team, like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it, see, that's the thing, though. Okay, you have strapped yourself with these players for better or worse. Then you do your damnedest to win with them now. You do your best to make the best of what remains of Taves and Kane and Keith and Seabrook. You do your damn best to try to win while you have what you have left of those guys. And he, so, but he's not doing either. 
He's not rebuilding or trying to win. So what is it? What are you trying to accomplish? This is what I don't understand. And this is what I would like Stan Bowman to answer at the Hawks convention. I don't understand. Is it win now? Is it win later? If it's win later, why are some of these old fading guys still here? Why is Artem Anisimov still here? <laughs> right? Like, it just, uh. there, there's, t- just tell me. If, if it's going to be... If it's going to be a rebuild, then just, just say it, right? Like, I yeah. think people get like, hey, you know, our core age or at quickly. least act like it. Right. But what you're doing now is nothing. Chris Kunitz? Like, fine. Okay, cool. Bottom six guy who's got some scoring potential. Okay. Brandon Manning. He's 28. Yeah, he could turn into something maybe decent at best of four. Cam yeah. Ward's a 1,000. Hasn't had a good year in seven years. Like these are not the moves of someone trying to compete now. I just I just don't get the direction. That's all. Like if if it was explained to me, like here's exactly what we're thinking. Okay, cool. At least I have something to base my feeling on. This is just it's I just throw my hands up. Like what what exactly is the deal here? Why did they need to make any of those signings aside from Cam Ward? Like, well, I mean, they, they did let Anthony Duclair walk, and he signed an NHL minimum deal with Columbus. I mean, look, I I have, I don't think Stan Bowman is stupid. I And this is not coming from anywhere of knowledge or from a source or anything, but I think if they liked him, they would have made the effort to bring him back. The fact that they let him go so quickly with such a small sample size tells me something. But again, yeah. here I am second-guessing all my feelings about this organization now. Because what <laughs> seemed like one of the smartest and more progressive and one of the more ahead-of-it front offices in the league and one of the smartest GMs in the league suddenly looks to me like a guy who doesn't know what he's doing. And again, it's July 9th, and if there's a big trade tomorrow that brings them a top-four defenseman, you could delete this entire episode because it's, yeah. no, it's moot. But up until now, we've given them nine days to do and this one teams do stuff by the way i don't think it's an unfair expectation you know teams by now have a pretty good idea of what the roster is going to look like yeah i mean this this blackhawks team that you're looking at right now it is a very safe assumption to make that this is the team that is going to be on the bench on opening night like obviously they could still trade marion hosa but i find it very odd that they haven't done it yet like why is the team going to go out of their way like the closer we get to the regular season to do that? Like, are they going to panic and go, oh, God, we're not going to make the floor? Is that what Stan Bowman's banking on? And even if that happens, then what? Are you signing somebody? There's nobody to sign at this point. Like, I don't get it, man. It, yeah, see, that's uh, the thing. Like, if you're waiting to move the deal, okay, cool. Like, that's fine. But there's nobody then left. What? You're going to make a trade like that's about the only thing I can think of because there's no free agent out there that's worth the money that you are going to end up saving on that Marion Hosa deal like that ship is sailed. My friends, that is gone. By the way, the cap floor is fifty eight million dollars. This is what everybody talks about as far as like, well, a team's going to need to add Marion Hosa to get to the cap floor. Uh, Winnipeg is at fifty two million. The Rangers are at fifty five. The Devils are at 56. Those are the three teams in the league that, air quotes, need to get to the cap floor. Now, 
those teams, the Jets have 16 players on the roster, the Rangers have 16, and the Devils have 19. They're not done filling out their roster. So by yeah. the time they are, they're going to be over the cap floor. So there is not really a team at this point that is desperate to get to the floor. They're all going to be able to do it. So ha- like people are saying, like, well, let it play out. Let rosters settle, and then you'll see which teams need need to get to the floor. It doesn't appear there's going to be very many. I, I, I don't know. I just uh, I well, want to be hopeful. Even Arizona's above the cap floor, aren't they? Uh, let me let me pull it back up. Arizona. Yeah, like, well, they've been they've made some deals this summer, locking up Oliver Ekman Larson to a long term deal and getting Nick Jalmerson to stay. Yeah, they're and... sixty four, almost sixty five million. And that's with uh, 22 players on a roster. So they pr- probably one more and they'll be done. And it'll there probably be a prospect of whatever, whatever level. Yeah. But it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I like to be positive and I, I think it bums people out. And look, it's good for us for the Hawks to be competitive. But I, I don't, I'm not going to lie to the audience, man. It's been hard for me to, and I'm like I just said, I'm always trying to connect the dots and make it positive. I'm always trying to find the spin. Like, okay, how can I? How can I make this work, right? Like, how can I? Yeah. How can I draw myself a conclusion here that's going to get me to a good place? And I just cannot do it with this roster. I just can't right now. <laughs> well, so much for the positive second segment of the show. Um, I suppose we can take one more break and then get back into some viewer emails and try to make ourselves feel better. But I think in the meantime, let's talk about something that actually will fill you with joy. And that is Marishka's. Jay, tell our friends about Marishka's, please. Oh, you know Marishka's is our well. If Triple Threat Sport is our sports is our original, Marishka's was right behind them uh, on the opening floor of this podcast, six hundred four Theodore Street in Crest Hill. Family owned and operated since nineteen thirty three. Uh, if you're from the Southland, you've heard of Marishka's. You've probably been to Marishka's, but if you haven't, and if you're not from this area. You've got to get out there. It is a place that uh, you want to bring your friends, your family, and just have a great time. It's an old-fashioned supper club, famous for their poor boys, but they've also got great burgers, chops, seafood. Everything you can imagine is at Marishka's. It's all made in-house. It's all delicious. It's all made with love. It really shows. This is a family-owned business since 1933, like we said, and it is managed uh, with precision. You know when you walk in there, you're in a quality establishment you know you're going to get good food good service all those things you'd expect from a business like marishka so check them out 604 theodore street in crest hill they're closed only on christmas easter the fourth of july and thanksgiving so make sure you get on out there 604 theodore street visit marishkas.com or check them out on facebook at facebook.com slash marishkas that's m-e-r-i-c-h-k-a-s marishkas go see them We'll be back with some positivity, some actual positivity. I will not be screaming for the remainder of the podcast, I promise. We'll be right back on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into the Positivity Hour with Jay and James, otherwise known as the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We just did an incredible thing, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Something that I did not think was going to happen and then totally did. We were doing a segment on the Prospect Camp roster in basically ignored every forward that's going to be there next week they yes. just were like you know what the defensemen are there but you know what none of them are going to be an impact player for five or six years so let's wail and moan and complain for 10 minutes instead of actually discussing the prospect camp roster so 
to guys like Evan Barrett and Radovan Bondra and Alexander Fourteen and other guys who have incredibly crazy names that I cannot pronounce right now off the top of my head. <laughs> we apologize to all of you. And I very much am looking forward, especially to guys like Barrett, Bondra, and 14, the guys that I mentioned. I think those guys in the next year or two, you could potentially see donning Blackhawk sweaters. Jay Zawoski, let's apologize again to those men. Yeah, sorry about those to those guys. Uh, definitely. Should have mentioned them, but I got mad again. I promise <laughs> I won't do it anymore. Uh, but two names on there that really interest me. Uh, Alex Fourteen is a guy who, uh, was it two years ago? Sort of came out of nowhere at Prospects Camp and turned some heads. And he got some NHL time, went down to develop, and then we sort of never saw him again. Now, again, a young player. I'm not saying he's a bust by any means. He's only 21 years old. He had 22 points. Uh, I'm sorry, 21 points for Rockford last season. Um, a guy with some size, 6'1", 187. It's, it's funny, that doesn't sound like size, but for this roster, that's some size. Uh-huh, uh, yeah. Who's got some scoring ability. And Redovan Bondra is a name we've heard for a long time. 6'5", 222, uh, played in the ECHL last year. Not a big scorer, but a big forward. I'm interested in seeing what he might be able to bring to the roster as well. Um, I like these prospects camps. Because when you go, you really see the difference between the legit prospects and the guys who are going to be sort of bouncing up and down between the AHL and the NHL or maybe never at all. Those guys that really stand out, they, they're they noticeable. They're the ones, it, it's very obvious. I remember the first time I noticed this was back when Tuomorutu, of all people, uh, was entering the NHL and it was prospects camp. And he was just so much better than anybody on the ice. It was just so so obvious that he was the best player and you'll see that when you go to these prospects camps you'll see like Yokoharu and uh hopefully Boquist and Bodan you'll see these guys standing out um, among the other players Alex 14 is a guy that's done that in the past and has had some good preseason so this is a guy who's maybe a dark horse if he puts together a good camp in preseason uh it could be a guy who's who battles for a roster spot this year yeah uh, for me, like that, that same thing has definitely applied to some of the guys I've seen at prospect camp, but we just saw it last year. Alex DeBrincat yeah. looked like a man among boys when he was playing in that prospect camp. You absolutely 100% could tell he was, had the potential to be a pretty special player. So definitely could tell that with him. That was a guy that really stood out to me last year. And I'm hoping that we get that again this season because, Frankly, I mean, what else do we really have to look forward to right now? I mean, it's just... Well, uh, okay, see, uh, now, there's not things I'm not going to look forward to this year. I I, I think that I want to see some of these guys get better, and I can... If, if well, I'm, I, meant, I meant between now and September. Oh, I didn't yeah, nothing. Mean, I didn't mean, like, the entire season. <laughs> I just meant the rest of the summer, because I just don't see a whole lot of big moves and big earth-shattering roster shakeups coming. I just don't. What I'm rooting for to happen this summer is for Henry Yokoharu to come in, be awesome, and win a job on the team. Ditto. I, I think that's the thing that Blackhawks fans need to be paying attention to during the preseason and in training camp is whether or not he looks like he's NHL ready. Because if he can make the jump this season and be that four or five defenseman to start with, obviously. Obviously, I'm not talking like come in and usurp Duncan Keith or anything like that, but come in and be an everyday player, potentially. 
that's good news if you can get that from him. Now, there is something else that I wanted to bring up, and I mentioned it uh, possibly top of the show. I don't even remember if you I did. said this, but I definitely I want to talk about offer sheets and why there are basically none in the NHL, and yet in the NBA, you get them fairly frequently. And, Jay, I'm going to run an idea by you. I want to see what you think of it. Okay. In the NBA, when you give a player an offer sheet, their team has 48 hours to match it. And if they don't, they get no compensation. They don't get anything. They just let the player go. In the NHL, if you do that, you sign a player to an offer sheet, the team not only has that opportunity to match, but then if they decline to, you have to give them, whether it's picks or whatever, you have to pony up big time to get a player. And that, I think more so than any like collusion, quote-unquote, which I know a lot of people have said that's why NHL teams don't do it because there's like a gentleman's agreement not to. I think it's more likely they just don't feel like giving up the compensation involved with signing these guys to offer sheets like a William Carlson or whatever. Do you think that the NHL, in the interest of kind of, you know, incentivizing teams to try to poach players from other clubs, do you think they should get rid of the compensation and only have the opportunity to match on those contracts? Um, I did until you told me you were going to talk about this. And then I looked it up. The compensation is not as harrowing as you think. Um, Cap Friendly, our friends at CapFriendly.com, have a nice little list of uh, the compensation. So a player, a restricted free agent making anywhere from $0 to $1.339 million, there's no compensation to an offer sheet there. Uh, a player from one point, I'll say $1.34 to $2.03 is one third-round pick. From two million basically to four million is a second round pick. From four million to six million is a first and a third. From six to eight is a first, second, and third. From eight to ten is two first rounders, a second rounder, and a third rounder. And ten million plus is four first rounders. So, to me, if there's a guy you really like, that's sort of like ahead of that bridge contract, like you mentioned, William Carlson, that's a really good example. Um, or a guy like Nick Schmaltz next year, who's probably not going to make a huge number. Would you sign if you're a team, uh, you know, looking to win? Would you sign Nick Schmaltz to a six million dollar offer sheet, knowing that it's going to cost you a first and a third? I would. I would do that. <laughs> I'd be down to do that if I was a team looking to add some young talent that maybe had some older players retiring. Find a guy like that, offer him a decent, tough to swallow contract for the Blackhawks, and and see if you can get him. I don't think a first and third is too much to ask for Nick Schmaltz, I, I think teams should do it more often. The compensation is not that bad unless you're signing, you're, unless you're making a, a, you know, an offer to John Tavares or something. I, I, it, the compensation is not as crazy as I thought it was. And I, and I get the idea of it. The idea of it is that if, like, a team, say, like, the Arizona Coyotes or the Calgary Flames, like, goes out there and they've got a guy who – they want to, or sorry, the Ottawa Senators, I meant. Mm -hmm. They have a player that they want to re-sign. Like, say Eric Carlson was going to be a restricted free agent next season. Like, I get that the whole point of it is that a team can't just go, fine, we're going to give him a $9 million offer sheet. Good luck matching that, jerks. Like, I get that that idea, they want to be so somewhat punitive, 
if you want to try to rob a smaller market team of a player. But uh, by the same token, it, to me, it's like, look, like if you're not going to have any offer sheets handed out like at all and you relatively consistently have some pretty good restricted free agents that are potentially going to be on the board then to me i'm just like look i'm getting rid of that compensation then if you want to lock your guys up you better figure out a way to do it and if you're a small market team and oh woe is me i don't have any money well (laughs) too bad like you there needs to be i think at some point an incentive is an incentive to um have guys be able to switch teams when they hit restricted free agency. I hate this. Like we can't touch that guy, whether it's gentlemen's agreements or it's the compensation or whatever. Give me some action, man. Give me yeah. somebody who is going to get screwed over. Like, I'm well, sorry. This is a business. man. Yeah, I, it just is. I agree with you, but I think this can't be changed until the new CBA. And, and here's why I say that with a hard cap, there's nothing preventing a team to say like, all right, we're going to sign this guy to a $10 million offer sheet. And if a team matches it, they're screwed or they just lose the guy and get some picks, right? Like with a hard cap, it's restrictive that way. That's what we've talked in the past about making the guys you draft less of a cap hit, right? Like right. somehow like, taking a percentage off like or the something NBA where you have a luxury tax then for that purpose. Right. I think that would open it up more. And I think that's why you see it more in the NBA, but like, imagine this, like if a team, uh, good example like Nick Schmaltz after the season if a team's like eight million the Hawks either have to pay eight million dollars or lose a guy that they see as a huge part of their future that's a shitty option to have because he's not worth eight million dollars not at this point yeah and they can't afford to pay him that under the current structure of the CBA so that screws the Hawks and okay $8 million, let me go back to my handy graph here. They get a first, a second, and a third. Ugh. That's not <laughs> that's not helpful. <laughs> like, yeah, well, okay. you know what? If you didn't sign Brent Seabrook to a friggin' eight-year deal, maybe you wouldn't have this problem. Well, we can take every discussion this season back to that. <laughs> that could just be like our punchline, like at the end of every segment. Well, if you didn't sign Brent Seabrook, that would it's valid on literally every point we can make all year. But it's like right. the ultimate trump card. It really is. Oh, we don't call it. Well, that okay. So let me ask you this then. <laughs> if you could take one element from the NBA collective bargaining agreements and put it in the NHL, and I'm going to give you three options here, and I want to hear what you have, what okay. you have to say about it. All right. Would you a take the max contracts being four years or five if it's your guy? B adding in a luxury tax that basically allows you to go over the salary cap. If you pay a fee and it's only if the players are yours, you can't just go out and sign John Tavares and, you know, pay luxury tax and you'll be all right. Or C, would you change the compensation on the restricted free agents to try to get some more offer sheets going to try to, add a little bit of competitiveness to what has ultimately just been like a really stale and boring thing. I think the answer is luxury tax because this way you're not punishing teams that want to spend. You're not punishing teams that have done a good job of developing their own talent. And look, there's no better example of both of these than the Blackhawks. They want to spend money. They want to have these guys on the team. I think if there was no salary cap, you'd still be seeing Dustin Bufflin and Andrew Shaw and Saad and Panero will be here the same. But you know what I mean? Like, 
this team would be stacked because guys wouldn't want to leave because they'd be winning consistently. This is a team that is willing to spend. It's a shame that as soon as the guy who didn't want to spend <laughs> dies, is when the salary cap goes into effect. It's brutal. It's like, oh, my God. So I think, yeah, a luxury tax is the way to go, and I think it should definitely be considered. And maybe you say it's an unfair advantage for the bigger market teams. So be it. You know, Gary Bettman's one who thinks it's a great idea to expand to Vegas and Carolina and Seattle and all these places the NHL has and is going to expand. You can't punish the Chicago's and New York's and Detroit's and L.A.'s who draw fans who have interests. Uh, they shouldn't be punished. They shouldn't be. They should be allowed to spend money like a big market team. That's what they are. And if it's an advantage, it's an advantage. But that luxury tax gets paid, spread out across the league, and all those teams, theoretically, if they're doing things correctly, use that money to improve their roster. I think that a luxury tax is a no-brainer. If you're going to have a hard cap, uh, you've got to have some kind of luxury tax because it's not fair. The Hawks are a team, probably a better example than anybody, actually, that did everything correctly and has been punished because of it. And it sucks. I I see a lot of value in potentially limiting contracts to four or five years. Like and I and I say that knowing that obviously some players would be like, oh well we can't, you know, sign these long term extensions and it robs us of security and blah blah blah. But by the same token, it also allows you to hit uh unrestricted free agency multiple times in your career and if the cap keeps going up you continue to cash in and that's what you've seen happen in the nba players who only can sign four-year deals are signing two-year deals that are one year and then an option year and they just continue to cash in and they get to basically pick their next destination every other season if not more often than that like I think the luxury tax is basically a no-brainer. I think the idea of there being a hard and fast salary cap is great for lower market teams, and it completely screws over big market teams and teams that are able to develop their own talent like the Blackhawks have been. So I think that B ultimately is probably what would be best for the NHL, but I see a lot of value in option A too. Well, and the other thing to consider too with the luxury tax is the NHL is a sport that needs help. It needs to grow, and that growth, and say what you want about the success of the Golden Knights and what that did for ratings and interest this year, fine. That's that's an outlier, okay? You need Chicago, L.A., New York. You need those big market, Boston. You need those teams competing in the playoffs every year for the good of the sport, for the growth of the sport. You need those large audiences with the star players playing on TV, and, like, the Cleveland Cavaliers are different because they have a generational talent in LeBron James, who is, at worst, the second-best player ever, right? Um, at worst, that's different. It worked in Cleveland, but now that he's gone, Cleveland's going to struggle. They're not going to draw. They're not going to be on TV. You need these big market teams to be successful and to have them be the ones that are consistently punished for their success as an organization it's really shameful and it's bad for the game. Look at this. You have Hawks fans who came back full steam from 2008 to 2010. You had to have a million percent, not literally, but a million percent growth and in interest in the Blackhawks, right? Now, 
it's fading already. They're already losing the momentum they've gained because of a first-round exit and a missed playoffs. The Hawks are are they're an afterthought now that quickly. Three championships? Oh, really? Well, you're going to struggle for three years? I don't care anymore. That's the danger. You need these teams to compete. And call it unfair if you're the Coyotes or the Panthers or whatever. But it's the same rules for every team. You know, it's just... It, it's just uh, to see the teams get punished that have been punished, it sucks. It's brutal, and it's bad for the game. <laughs> I don't know. Was this really a positive? Did we, like, kind of bring the mood of the podcast up by discussing <laughs> things that are potentially wrong with the NHL? Well, here's, here's, why, here's why it was positive. And I told you, I always try to draw back to why it was positive. It was positive because we acknowledged how great the Blackhawks have been at developing their own talent. And it's the league's fault that they're being punished for it, not their own. There. Positive. You ready for some more positives? Let's do some emails. Email the guys at madhousepod at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at madhousepod. The email segment, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien, Visit Chuck'sCafe.com. James, what a glorious week it was. We got our biannual payment from Chuck's, and you and I are flush with cash. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Chuck's, the best barbecue, the best Cajun, the best Mexican. Chuck's is awesome. Anything you like uh, food-wise. If you're from Chicago, you know the food groups. You got your tacos and burritos. You've got your Cajun food. You got your barbecue, and you got your bar food. Those are the only four categories of food. They all exist at Chuck's. They're all amazing. I say this all the time. Bring your picky grandmother, your little baby child. Everyone is at Chuck's will find something they love. Everybody. It's guaranteed. And even if there's something on the menu, get that cobbler when you're done. Oh, my God. The hot cobbler pie with the ice cream on top. Everybody's going to love that. Chuck's is amazing. So check them out. Chuck'sCafe.com. Again, locations in Burbank and Darien. Each location has different specials at all times. And we will be having a season kickoff event at Chuck's before this year. So stick with the podcast. Stick with our Twitter account, twitter.com slash madhousepod, as the details for that become available. Okay. Are you ready for emails, my friend? Let us do it. All right. Last week, we discussed uh, Jeremy Roenick sort of being a snub for the Hall of Fame. So we got an email here from Michael Moonchow, I hope I said that right, Michael. He says, Ronick was my favorite player growing up, but is honestly a borderline Hall of Famer. Obviously, he has great career stats, but zero major individual awards. Compare the top of the hockey reference page for Ronick and Marty St. Louis. Ronick has nothing, while St. Louis has a Hart Trophy, a Pearson Lindsay Trophy, two scoring titles, and five postseason All-Star teams. He's even got a Stanley Cup, but that is more of a team accomplishment. The former Hawk with the best chance of getting in is Doug Wilson. He's an Norris Trophy winner and three-time postseason All-Star on top of a great career stats for a D-man. He's got no cup. But again, that's a team award as the Hawks goalies in the 80s were not great along with going against the Oilers dynasty team. Good points by Michael. Um, knowing we were going to do this podcast, I went to Jeremy Roenick's uh, hockey reference page and looked up the similarity scores. This is a comparison of players throughout the history of the game who best compare to Jeremy Roenick. So I'm going to go in order of this list. Frank Mahalovic is a Hall of Famer. He's in. Uh, Next on that list is Daniel Alfredson. 
He's not in the Hall of Fame, but he's recently but probably retired. Will be. Probably will be. Keith Kachuk, not in the Hall of Fame, but probably will be. Patrick Elias, not in the Hall of Fame. Could be. Probably will be because of the Cups. Stan Makita, Hall of Fame. Mark Recchi, Hall of Fame. Adam Oates, Hall of Fame. Mark Messier, Hall of Fame. Dale Howarchuk, Hall of Fame. Eric Stahl still playing, um, but he's got a strong argument as well. So those are the guys that are most closely uh, resembling Jeremy Roenick. And I think by listing those guys off and their accomplishments, I think the argument's pretty strong for JR. You're right. He does not have the individual awards, but he played in an era, like you mentioned, the 80s and 90s, where you had teams like the Oilers and Penguins with generational you know, maybe the number one and two forwards of all time with uh, Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux racking up every award you can. Roenick was three, four, five in that list of guys with the Yagers yeah. and the Francis's. And you know what I mean? He was right there. So uh, the, you're factually correct, but there was more of a reason that he did not win those awards when San Luis did. I would agree with that. I think that you nailed that right on the head, and I was going to bring that point up. So kudos to Jay. All right. Uh, by the way, thank you to Jason Mills, longtime listener. He said he went to Chuck's and dropped the name of the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, my friend. Um, Jacob Lively. He says uh, that Joe Madden falls on his face yet again on the July 1st free agency period. Hashtag fire Madden. That's a joke from last week. He says, <laughs> as of July 1st, I'm fine with the drafts and I'm fine with the signings. But if this is going to be a two year retool, type deal q cannot bench forsling yokoharu do you trust q to let young kids play i'm fine with the hawks not making the playoffs but i don't want to see them miss the playoffs and watch ruda manning and osterly play Mm. here's here's what i would say about that (laughs) i think that oftentimes i think quindle has gotten some kind of like bad raps for dealing with some youngsters like Obviously, we've highlighted a lot of them today, but every so often there are guys like Brandon Saad and Alex DeBrincat that he treats about right. And they whatever they do to earn that playing time, Joel Quendell seems to really like them. Now, that being now, said. But remember how long it took him with DeBrincat to acknowledge yeah. like, OK, he's good. <laughs> yeah, it took about half a season. Yeah. But I just know, like, if we're if you're putting a gun to my head and telling me that I have to tell you right now, whether or not I trust Joel Quenville to um, be able to like play these guys regularly and get them proper development. I got to say, no, let me ask you this. This is not an email. I'm, I'm veering from format here. Would you rather watch Henry Yokoharu struggle next year, but play full time with the Hawks or play, you know, 60, 65 games with the Hawks, or would you rather see Brandon Manning? I I despise treading water. I think that I, I think that that's death in sports is to be in that middle ground between awful and good to be in that like mediocre range with no real optimism about the future. Like if you're going to rebuild, be honest with me. If you're going to go for the gusto and try to win now, be honest with me. But this middling crap that it seems like the Blackhawks are trying to do right now, I'm not here for that. So if Henry Yokoharu is playing 
playing every day and struggling and learning the game. And Joel Quenville stays patient with him and continues to put him into situations that he obviously could potentially do poorly in, but at the same time are learning experiences for a guy that I think has a very good future with this organization. I'd rather see Okaharu play 75, 80 games than sit here and watch Jordan Osterley be mediocre, be okay at best. Like, I, I would get it if they played Yokoharu constantly, even if he was struggling. So and add yeah, Forsling to that I'd too. I'd rather than play Yokoharu. I'd rather watch Forsling struggle and figure it out at the NHL level than go and be great in Rockford and learn nothing. Like yeah, yeah. All right, next one from Jimberger. He says uh, he says this email may look dumb if more is done, but. We all know what? trying to build your team through free agency is never a wise way for sustained success. Saying this, it seems like the Hawks brass felt they aren't far away with the signings. If these are the most substantial ads, have they punted this championship window and plan to rebuild around Saad to Brinkett, et cetera? Or are the Hawks just going to feed the fans a load of BS like we're adding back a healthy Corey Crawford and expecting Taze and Kane to go back to their career numbers? Seems like the Hawks are happy with the roster as it is. Yep, that's what we've talked about the entire podcast. And I would love to have some clarity on just what the hell they think is happening. <laughs> Jay, I'm going to let you have at this. I had it. I've done it. Just rewind. Just go back, <laughs> go back about 40 minutes and hit play, and you'll hear it all over again. Yay. Yay. All right, Nathan Sutar. Nate, thanks for the email. I, I liked where his head was at, by the way. Gingenberger with the good point about free agency. Good for him. Yes. Uh, so Nate says, although I was not expecting much this offseason in terms of making me feel good about this team again, Stan really crapped, he didn't say crap, the bed as far as I'm concerned. One, let Duclair walk and basically have Kunitz take his place. Why? Good question. Yes. Morezic got the same money Ward got and is better. True. That is that. That, that is a damn good point. Mrazek absolutely would have been better than Cam Ward. And I may have even been okay giving him a no-movement clause because of that, because I felt like he maybe could have gotten more money on the free agent market. But anyway, I digress. Jalmerson resigned with Arizona for what would have been affordable for the Hawks if they had just kept him. That's true. However, he's coming off a really bad year and an injury, which may not have happened if he was still here. So it's true. But with a bullet, with an asterisk. And number four, defensemen that are in the pipeline are two-plus years out. Does Stan actually believe this defensive core is going to make it this long? Woof. He says, sorry about the negativity, but that's all this team has brought me the last year. The only good thing to happen was seeing Eddie O kick cancer's ass. I guess to bring it occasionally got me excited too, but whatever. Nate, that is the sentiment of a lot of Hawks fans. And Nate, how dare Nate forget about Scott Foster and the joy that he oh brought God. us? I want that story to die. I hate it. I hate it. Every time I see Scott Foster, I get triggered. Like, please, can we stop? Yes, it was cute. Yes, it was cool. But like, can we? It's such minor league hokey crap. I mean, that was I great. To, I hate to break this to you, Jay. But Joy is in short supply in Blackhawkville right now. You're right. You're right. I, that's why I just shifted my mood. I mean, that was really cool. What a great moment we had last season when Scott. I mean, I'm Ball- glad we all got to experience it together. <sighs> Boy, that was rough. That was a rough oh, podcast. Man. James and I are like, this, this will be a quick j- one. We'll just recap what happened, and it'll be fun. We'll be done in uh, 40 minutes. Nope. <laughs> 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 Not happening. 
Well, I'm, I feel a little better, though. I got it off my chest, right? Yeah, like, I, f- I feel like now we just don't have anything to talk about the rest of the summer. Oh, we'll so. find something. We'll find something. I, I, I did my show last night on the score with Shep, and I thought we'd do some hockey talk, but we got cut short because the Cubs went to extras, and I just did not have the time I wanted. Uh, so I'm glad I was able to get it off my chest here. Uh, I know you got some off your chest as well. We got development camp next week. We got the Hawks convention coming up. We're going to have some Hawks news to break down, some things to talk about, uh, hopefully some clarity from Stan Bowman and, and company uh, in yeah. the coming weeks and some clarity on, on what, what's up with Corey Crawford as well. So there will be plenty to discuss. Stick with us. We're not going to bail on you. We're going to be for, here for you guys. So uh, thanks for listening to this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, which has been brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris 708-478-478. 6090 Mariska's in Crest Hill family owned and operated since 1933 and Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien visit chuckscafe.com if you're heading out to prospects camp keep an eye out for James or I I will try to be there at least one day next week and uh, we will both tweet out uh, when we plan on being there if you guys want to say hello follow me on Twitter at jayzawaski670 and James is at james underscore Naveau. That's N-E-V-E-A-U. So follow us. There's no underscore, you doofus. There's not? No. (sighs) I suck. Okay, it's just James Naveau, which is creative. I hate the underscore. The underscore is the bane of my existence. I used to have one, and then I got rid of it. So there you go. Good move by your part. Okay, James Naveau. No underscore necessary. All right. And, of course, follow the show at MadhousePod on Twitter. We always post the latest episodes there and pin them to our profile so they're easy to find. And uh, if you ever want to email us, madhousepod at gmail.com. But until next week, we will talk to you on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. At Simple Mobile, you get the no-contract advantage. Those other mobile companies make you think you're in control, but you're really not. They lure you in with shiny new phones and then lock you into long-term agreements. But Simple Mobile is different. You can get a 30-day plan starting at $25. You can also get the latest smartphones, or if you have a compatible phone you love, you can bring it. Just text BYOP to 611611 to see if your phone is compatible. It's the reliability you need when you need it. All on a powerful nationwide 5G network. With no mystery fees, no activation fees, and no contract ever. All for less money and no contract ever. 5G-capable device and SIM required. Actual availability and coverage and speed may vary. 5G network not available in all areas. 5G upload speed not yet available. Message and data rates may apply. Visit simplemobile.com slash privacy policy for privacy policy. Service plan required for activation. Terms at simplemobile.com.